0: So we've been in a series called Make Some Room, Make Some Room. We're actually having to literally do this in my house because we've got our third child on the way. And so tomorrow I'm doing a staycation this week. And what staycation looks like is I'm going to be working all week, (laughs) nesting and doing these things um, around my house. I'm building bunk beds. So I'm literally making some room. So it's very apropos for my life. And, uh, but we've been been looking at this, making some room for the deeper things of God, making room for just being faithful in in our daily walk. And today I want to talk to you about, make some room for rest, make some room for rest. Um, I don't don't know about you, but if we were in like, say, maybe a a, a get to know you setting, like there's a lot of people in here that you don't know one another. So if we all gathered around, we did like one of those icebreaker things where we get to know each other, we'd go around and say, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself, like, what would you say if I said, tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, just think about that for just a second. Most of us, we begin with our name, right? That's pretty smart. And then we usually, next thing that follows is what we do for a living. Like, what we do. Like, I'm, my name's Kyle, and I'm a pastor. Like, that's the first thing that follows. You know, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a police officer, and this is what we do. We might actually throw in some hobbies, some more things we do, but really, we don't tell who we are. And, there, and there's, a, there's a good chance that sometimes our career really lines up with who we are. For many people, though, our career and who we are are kind of two separate things. But the hard truth of, of us uh, as Americans, and really all across the world, for generations upon generations, we've, def- we've been defined by our work. I come. I, I, it's a obvious. Or it's a um, a very open thing around here that I am a recovering workaholic, and I come from a long line of workaholics. And I'm actually the first generation that began to identify it and speak it from my mouth. That we've been workaholics, and in America, we're really proud of how busy we are. We're really proud of how hard we work. Even people that are not busy at all say, "I'm just so busy." Like busy watching Netflix. I've just been really busy lately, you know, binge watching seasons of Royal Pains or whatever you're into. We, we've been, even those of us that, that aren't super busy, we just, it just comes from our mouth. Like it's something that we're supposed to say and something that we're very proud of. But let me play out a scenario for you. What happens when our identity is, is, is built off of what we do, when that's taken from us, where is our identity then? Think about a football player who grew up playing football uh, at a very young age, and they grow up, and uh, all they are is they're so-and-so, the football player. And then they get into college, and then they're a big man on campus, and then they go to pros, and they play for 10 years. And what happens after that? His knee goes out, you know, somebody clips him or something. His knee goes out, and then what? He's got all this money, plenty to play with, plenty to work with, and he finds himself, he can't go back to football. He's always been a football player. Who is he now? Or even for the stay-at-home mom, who her whole life has been about her children, and she's poured into them, and she's loved that life. And then comes the time when her kids are 45, and they finally move out. <laughs> um, that that um, she has to look at herself, and she begins to have to search and find for what her identity is because for her entire life, her her life and her identity has been wrapped up in her children. I've learned a very hard lesson in the past five years about identity and that those things are a part of who we are, but the deepest, the deepest rooted parts of who we are are defined by who we are in Christ and that nothing on that front is going to change that it doesn't matter what happens in this life, it doesn't matter what we do or what we stop doing or what's taken from us or what's given to us, our identity is always rooted and founded in Christ, and that begins to inspire and bring life to everything. And I believe that God has given us a principle. It, he actually modeled it first, and then he commanded it, and then he blessed it, and then he fulfilled it in the New Testament when Jesus went to the cross, and it's that of the Sabbath. Sabbath. Um, and so I want to talk to you this morning about the Sabbath. For those of you that have been with us for, for many years, uh, we usually talk about Sabbath sometime during the month of July. It's an important time. Many people are taking vacations, and there's a deeper sense than just resting and just stop working. There's so much more God wants to do in our rest than what we realize, and so I want to talk to you about Sabbath today and what Sabbath is. I'm going to preach short. Everybody say Amen. Amen, because I don't always do that. But I'm going to preach a little bit shorter today, uh, Lord willing. But I, I want to share with you about what really, what Sabbath is. And I want to begin in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus gives us this really beautiful um, uh, scripture. He says this very beautiful thing that's now scripture to us that we always run to when we're weary. And I think if I asked you, if, if you were really honest in the depths of your soul, like, we're, a lot of us are really tired. Not everybody, but a lot of us are really tired. Like, we're, we're tired of our job. We're tired of, you know, working to make ends meet. We're, we're, we're exhausted. We're weary. Um, our, our purpose it maybe is not, you know, raising up in Christ like we thought it would. And we're just weary. And, and this scripture is really beautiful. And this is how Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I think that that leads us to believe that, that there is something to be learned about rest. That it's not just something that we go to him and get, but when we come to him, he teaches us life patterns, life disciplines, and things to say yes to and things to say no to. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The, the, the picture of a yoke is not anything to do with eggs, despite, you know, popular belief. But it's a picture of, you know, two mules. And, and like there's, there's a single yoke and there's a double yoke. And, and I believe that it's, it really doesn't matter whether it's a single yoke or a double yoke. But he's saying, take my yoke, that his is easy and his is light What we bear, like you ever feel like you're just bearing the weight of the world in a certain season? Maybe not all the time. Like you're keeping your family going. You're keeping, you know, the food on the table or you're working hard for the future, whatever that might be. You just feel like the whole weight of the world's on you. If you're not in that season, you've probably been there before. But he says, take on my yoke, that it's different. Like, hop in here with me and, like, just, like, working alongside God. So I wonder if we begin to get this scripture in our mind this week as we work into our work week. Or if you're like me, doing a little staycation, a little honey-do list around the house. I wonder if we begin to view this in that sense of getting in the yoke and letting God teach us what it means to work, what it means to rest. From gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls that the rest will go much deeper than your physical rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'm talking about Sabbath and really what that means. Um, and we're going to begin with just a simple thought, that Sabbath um, is for you. Sabbath is for you. Um, I think if we look into the scriptures, Genesis 1, God models the Sabbath. Genesis 16, God commands the Sabbath. Genesis 20, he blesses the Sabbath. Genesis 31, he says that the Sabbath will live on for generations to come. And then in Mark uh, 2, I really believe that Jesus fulfilled. Like he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So I believe that he fulfilled it for us. So it's for you. Sometimes when a, a command goes out, like when mom says don't play in the street, or, I don't want you at the movies past 11. We think that she's trying to keep us from something, right? We think that she's trying to keep us from having fun when we, what we don't realize is that the cars pass really fast and people love to drink and drive late at night and that shady things go on at the movies past midnight, right? So, mom knows, but when a commander or a rule or a principle is given to us, we usually think that it's restrictive. We take it as restrictive, like God is trying to keep something from us. But in fact, it's, it's the opposite, that God is trying to bring something to us. He wants something for us. And that look what Mark chapter 2, Jesus says about the Sabbath here to people who are questioning him about us. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like this rule was not given so that you could just hold up the rule and be like, look, we did it. It was made for you. Think of like a paid vacation day. Like some of you like have tomorrow off and it's a paid vacation day. The Sabbath is a paid vacation day that we rarely actually take and receive the benefits of. And you have to love a God who says, take the day off, man. (laughs) Like when you love a boss that says, take the day off, I'll still pay you. Like you would love that day. And God gives us that day every single week, but we rarely turn our attention to or get the deepest meaning of it. I want to give you my working definition for Sabbath as we, we move here. My working de- definition for Sabbath, I think you've got it back there and it'll help me. The principle of Sabbath is to establish and cultivate ongoing trust and worship of God as well as inspire a more meaningful existence in life and family. It's to establish and cultivate, like every single week, to establish and cultivate trust and worship. It's not just trusting him by not working. It's opening our hearts and mind as we reflect and we rest and turning our hearts towards God in worship. And it inspires a more meaningful existence in life and family. This is about what God's trying to get to us. The Sabbath was made for you. <clears throat> There's this quote from C.S. Lewis that's uh, really good for us to launch from today, if I can find it. I thought I had it up on here. Um It's it's a powerful, many of you know C.S. Lewis. He has a, a great quote here. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day Standing back from your natural fussing and fretting coming in out of the world. I think it's a powerful thought that each day, that when Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, like he fulfilled the law, even like if you look to when he was in the tomb, he was in the tomb on Sabbath. Like He was even fulfilling it in his death, he fulfilled the Sabbath. And he, and he raised it to new life, that we can understand this, that it's not just a, a principle about a day, it's, it's a principle about a life of rest in Christ. That every single day, holy day, Sabbath day, whatever, we wake up and and we realize that we can push back from the busyness of this world, from us carrying the weight of the world on us, but that we experience that God has created this day, and the the day the Lord has made is a a good one. That we can celebrate in that. We can rejoice in that. So it's waking up to it on a daily basis. So it's ongoing trust, and it's I think a more meaningful existence in our life, in our family, something I had to learn the hard way, um, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. So the first principle is for you. Sabbath is for you. Jesus fulfilled it. it. It was a commandment, and I really believe because Jesus fulfilled it, it's it's now spread out to be a principle that we practice, but it's not a matter of um, like we're going to hell or at, at that time. Previously, if you look into Exodus chapter 31, one guy was caught picking up wood in the punishment. You know the punishment was for him picking up wood on the Sabbath? Death, <laughs> right? Seems like an appropriate punishment, right? No, like it, it seems crazy to us, but God was drawing a line saying, I want you To trust me in this. And when I say something, I want you to obey it. Let's move on. It's not only for you, it's a principle of trust. It's a principle of trust. So let's unpack that a little bit today by turning to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 is really powerful. If I would have asked you, where does God command the Sabbath? You would probably first go to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, right? That's the first place our brains would go. But in fact, the Sabbath is instituted not only when God modeled it, But he commanded it in Exodus chapter 16. So let's read it a little bit and then we'll we'll talk. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, uh, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, so we're saying roughly 45 days, after uh, after they had come out of Egypt... In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, but really they're grumbling against God. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Keep reading. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, uh, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be as twice as much as they gather on the other days. He didn't want you working on that seventh day. Uh, I think we can skip down to verse 17. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. That was God's instructions. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them, as would I be angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers uh, for each person, and the leaders in the community came and reported this to Moses. So get this picture. They've been in slavery for a long time, like as long as most of these people have been living, they've, they've been in slavery. God miraculously delivers them from their sla- in, uh, where they were enslaved. Like incredible miracle after incredible, uh, incredible miracle. Remember the parting of the seas. Remember the plagues. All these incredible things that God did to free them. And 45 days out, they're complaining already. And we can point and be like, you guys are Crazy. They're actually dreaming about going back to slavery, right? Like, I think in our lives, we, we do this more than what we realize. Like, we're praying, and like, we want to be out of this enslaved, this job that's like really tying us down, and as soon as we get free from it, or we, we say, hey, once I get that promotion, that would be just praying for that for a long time, and we finally get to that place, and the first two weeks, the first three weeks, the first four weeks are amazing, and then by the 45th day, we're complaining already. I'm like, oh, I wish I could just go back to the way things were right? Or like you're praying for a breakthrough spiritually and really like, man, there's a, maybe an addiction or just a, a heavy past um, of depression or whatever you've been going through for a long time and God delivers us. He sets us free from that and it doesn't take too far down the road and we're all like, man, I was kind of cool back then. I could just kind of do what I wanted and like I wasn't challenged. And we don't realize that God is calling us to a life of, of trust. And, and it's funny, but we, we do that all the time. And the principle is laid out right there. You're not going to work on this day. And it's not because I'm trying to keep something from you. In fact, I'm going to give you plenty ahead of time so that you have plenty for that day. right? And that's a whole other message, a whole other series about the Bible teaches on saving and preparing for winter. And we'll do that in a, a series down the road. But we, we, li- we live and we struggle with this, that we're going to keep working. And it's a, a deep sense of trust. It, it's, it's not coincidence that God gives us Um, Two principles, two commandments, really, um, in Scripture. One in uh, the tithe and the one in Sabbath. And both of these have to do with our most precious commodities, the most limited resources we have, time and money. God gives us these principles. And it's not to keep something from us, but he's trying to keep us free. The people that He set free, he wants to keep you free. And so that's why I constantly say I'm a recovering workaholic because I want to stay free. That's why I moved and I don't live right by this building of a church. That There's a reason why I don't live right here is because I'm, I'd keep myself way too tempted to go in and work 70, 80 hours a week, 90 hours a week like I've done in the past because I can't be trusted. Right? God puts this as a line in the sand for us to trust him. And it's a powerful principle for us to grab a hold of. You know, many principles, um, most of the time when we think about trust, we really think about trusting God in a big step we're going to have to to take. God asks us and says, hey, trust me in this and take this big step. Sabbath is different. Sabbath is trusting God in rest. It's trusting him in inactivity and doing nothing. I think of uh, just in the sense of um, sports a lot of times because I grew up playing sports and I love love sports think of someone on your team that you um you don't trust with the basketball right right there's that that Timmy like he's we love him he's a fun guy he's the class clown but he's not good at shooting the ball and he doesn't know what to do it he always double dribbles anybody know I'm talking about um and and so like you dribble into the lane and like Timmy's wide open and he's like ready to, to receive the ball and shoot it up but you don't trust him Think about that in our life, like when it comes end of Saturday and, or whenever the Sabbath is in your life, and we, like, we kind of fake God, like, yeah, I'm not going to trust you with it. I don't trust God with the ball. That's what it basically is when we don't do that, when we don't give him the ball. And the truth of the matter is that he can do far more with it. And sadly, many times, it, my life began to look like it was full of maggots and began to smell when I'm working constantly, when I don't honor the Lord on the Sabbath, when I don't trust God in that my life. I mean, think about it in your own family. How do your relationships start working when you are overworked and overstressed? They usually start stinking. Something starts happening. How are you in your relationship to your children when you're really stressed and you're really not resting in God and you're really not setting and putting first things first the first day of the week set aside to honor the Lord and to trust the Lord, right? The Sabbath has always been the first day of the week, even though here it's on that Seventh, it, it's really been the first day, first day of the week, right? We've always looked at it as that, that launches into that next week, and it pushes us there. So it calls us to, to trust God and rest, principle of trust. Next week, let's skip over. Let's skip over a few chapters to Exodus chapter 20, right? Ten Commandments, you might have learned this in Sunday school. Some of us would probably be embarrassed. Come on, we'd be embarrassed if we couldn't, we couldn't quote them. <laughs> we couldn't come up with them. The first three are really about our relationship with God that he establishes. You know, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I don't want you to create any idols and think that you can walk into my presence and then walk back out of it. I also don't want you to misuse my name. I don't want you to put my stamp of approval on things that have nothing to do with me, <laughs> that I did not approve. But you're like, yeah, God said it was great. God told me to go here when God didn't tell you to go there. Right, people use that all the time at church. Like, yeah, I got too many. Yeah, anyway, I won't go there. Um, But we get to this one; it's the fourth one, and, and it's it's not by coincidence that it's right between our relationship with God and all these other ones that are about our relationship with people. Honor your mom and dad. Don't steal stuff. Don't covet. Like the list goes on. It's all about our relationship to other people, and it's not God trying to keep something from us, but it's us. It's God trying to keep us free and us connected in real relationships with one another. And here the Sabbath lays right between our relationship with God and our relationship with people. That is not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. And most of the verses give one verse of attention. You know, don't covet, don't steal. This one gives the most of all of them. There's more Hebrew words, there's more verses, even in the English language, than any other verse. That's interesting, right? It's an interesting thing. Remember the Sabbath day by... Keeping it holy. We're not making it holy. It's already holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. Don't even have your animals working. Tie them jokers up and don't let them work the field, for, nor any fur, foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He blessed it, and he made it holy. I just came back from Guatemala uh, a couple of weeks ago, and my wife and I will celebrate, actually this week we'll celebrate our ninth anniversary. And um, in our entire marriage, I was trying to count it up, I've taken naps like less than five times in nine years. Okay, so I don't nap much. Usually when I nap, I've just traveled a long distance and I've been on like crazy flights for 32 or whatever hours. And I'm exhausted when I get home. I've slept for like three hours and I crash. That's what I call a nap. But uh, when we came back, like my body is just worn down. i had been working really hard um, before we left. The trip was very exhausting. I got back, and like in a matter of seven days, like I'd get home at like four thirty, five 5 o'clock. I'd sit on the couch for like five minutes, and I was out cold. Like, and I napped like five times that week. I, t- I napped more in that one week than I napped my entire marriage. It was just crazy to me. So I now know what it's like to nap. Like I, I didn't even have a frame of reference from letting my body slow down and nap, and, and here I did it. And for those of you, how many of you guys are nappers? You might love a good nap, a good power nap, a cat nap. Some, like, five-hour power nap. <laughs> um, um, nothing is more blessed and nothing is more holy than that Sunday afternoon nap, right? You know, when, the, when it's just a little bit, like, gray outside, nothing's more holy or more blessed than that that afternoon nap. There's something beautiful about rest. There's something that God sets it aside, that the the literal meaning and understanding of the word holy means set apart or set aside, that God like circled this. He modeled this this example to rest. Did God need a rest? God didn't need a rest. He didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He did it as an example. Jesus, God always sets the example, right? We love because he first loved us, Jesus was God's tithe. God took, you know, God rested on the Sabbath. He always does it. I love that we don't have a God that, like, came and had all the royal riches and be like, you should be servants. No, like, he came as the least of these, didn't have a place to lay his head, and he lived his life of service. So anyway, Sabbath is holy. Sabbath is holy. God blessed it. He set it apart. He set it aside. There's something extremely blessed about it. There's this guy named Wayne Mueller or Mueller. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, says this, like a path through the forest, Sabbath creates a marker for ourselves, so if we're lost, we can find our way back to our center. I don't know how many times in, actually, let me give you kind of two kind of aspects of my life, just to give a personal example here. Before, when I was not honoring the Sabbath, I would work and work and work and then collapse and the, the saddest part about my time working through that is that I, I lost all joy. Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So when that joy begins to get zapped out, because I've worked so hard and I'm, I'm really depending on myself, I'm not trusting God in anything, all that joy goes away, and with it, my strength. So I was just exhausted. Everything is at a, just an okay level. But when I began to trust God, I just came through an extremely busy season in my life, and, but the one thing I did through that season is I kept the Sabbath. There is a day where I stop. I, I keep like the traditional Jewish Sabbath, which is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. It just happens to work for my life. I don't think we're bound to one specific day. Jesus fulfilled it. It's an all-of-life principle, so find it. Our worlds and, and work schedules are, are very crazy these days. Um, but the difference in the second season that, that I just went through where, where it was kind of crazy is that my joy did not leave me. Because I constantly, I was going to trust God. I needed to work. I wanted to work. But I chose not to work. And through it, my joy was kept. My strength was kept. And I was still able to be a good dad through that season. I was still able to minister to people and not be like, I wish that they could just figure it out right now. I was a a better human being. I found deeper meaning in the existence of life and with my family, just like the definition says. So it's holy. God set it apart. And then lastly, and and I'll begin to close and you can come, um, is that Sabbath is making you holy. Sabbath is making us holy. As we set it apart, he sets us apart. As we stop working, he starts working. when we back away from just all the busyness and just let God do his thing. Here's another quote for you that's really good from Eugene Peterson who wrote the Message Translation. He says this. I think we have it up there. Um, go to the, yeah, right there. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities to see what God is doing. It's that uncluttered time like where I'm not looking at to-do list, I'm not checking emails, I'm just pushing back from it on a daily basis, but particularly on this one day of rest. I push it back enough to, and I just see what God's doing. It's not just stopping, stopping our activity, it's letting God do some deeper activity, right? That in the mix of the busy days, the other six days of the week that we're too busy to really see, it's slowing down. If that's your Sunday, and you're here today, and like this is your Sabbath day, It's that time when it's not just a service for us, but the whole day is just a day of reflection. God, just do a new work in me as I charge back into this week and do do what you put in front of me to raise my family, to to do my job, to the, the best ability, to love the people in front of me. As I do that, God, I come inspired in a deeper way, and I let you make me whole. I let you set me apart for these things. As as we set aside that holy day, he makes us holy in it. Look at Exodus chapter 31. This is the text actually right after this is where we find the guy picking up wood and ends up dying for it. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. Um, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Not only does he make us holy, it's a sign for the generations to come. I love Chick-fil-A. A. love the Holy Bird. Um, they, they take off on Sundays. They don't open on Sundays. You, you, you know that. Um, and I bet honoring the Sabbath has been assigned to his kids and his grandkids to watch what God has done in their business. I'm sure there was many board meetings where people brought up, hey, we could probably boost our sales by another 10%. If we open on Sunday, 10%, it sounds good. People probably want to give it and chew and it held. He said, no. We're gonna remember the Sabbath. We're gonna keep it holy. And that, I'm telling you, if maybe in our life that doesn't ring true, but look at that example. That is a, that is a symbol, that is a sign that points to God, the God who delivered us from Egypt, who delivered us out of slavery. That's a sign to his kids and his grandkids. And some of you in the house, you don't have kids. Maybe you won't ever have kids. But um, I I think what we can know is that it's a resounding message to the people around us. And the generations to come, that man is not my supply. It's It's not about what I can work to do. It's pushing back and saying, God, what are you doing? And even more so, what can you do? And and all of a sudden, when we stop working, we realize quail is coming down from heaven. And all of a sudden, on that day that I thought, man, there's not going to be anything. There's not going to be anything. There's not going to be any food on the table. We're not going to be able to buy the house. We're not going to be able to get the new car that we need to get or whatever. All of a sudden, there's manna on the floor. My wife is way better at telling these stories, but early on when we moved to Jacksonville, we, we, we lived on, on uh, just savings and uh, a, a wing and a prayer, basically, and uh, I, I can't tell you how many times. My wife is way better at remembering um, all these stories, but there, there were many in which um, the, the cupboards were getting bare, getting really close, and just needed, um, needed God to show up, praying for God to show up. And uh, he showed up with way more than what we can imagine. My wife tells a story about that season. And uh, we were running out of of toothpaste, right? You know, things are tight when you're like worrying about (laughs) we're going to run out of toothpaste. And um, she, she was praying and she said, God, I need toothpaste. I know that sounds sad, but that was like legit about what? We need toothpaste. And uh, that afternoon, um, or right not too long, a couple hours later, someone texted her and said, hey, what do you need? I want to I help you. What do you need? She's like, I need toothpaste. And she didn't tell her brand or anything, but um, that afternoon, the person got off work. Uh, the person came by, and they had a double pack of, of Taryn's favorite toothpaste. She didn't even know. I don't even know how she knew, unless she'd been sneaking around our cabinets. That's not okay, people. Let's not do that. Unless she'd been sneaking, she got the the, her favorite kind, a double pack, and one hundred fifty dollars of groceries, a gift card to go get what you want in groceries. She was she was blown away because it was kind of her, you know. She was right in the middle of it, praying for it. Um, But it was this incredible example about God knows. Later that uh, that week, a couple days later, we had someone at our house, and they're like, "Man, I really need to get some toothpaste." Taryn goes. I have toothpaste, I have two. So she went and got the extra one and gave him the toothpaste. I mean, how, how often do you have someone in your house that says, I need toothpaste, right? <laughs> That's not your, in your house. And he or she was able to bless this other person. Um, God can do exceedingly more than what we can think or imagine. It's a principle of trust, and he'll blow our mind. It'll be a sign of, for generations to come. And the beautiful part is that when we set it aside, he sets us aside for his glory. He he makes us holy in the process. I go back to that, that Matthew 11, 28, 19. Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. Jesus fulfilled the law. And today I want to ask you to stand and we're going to pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are our supply. God, you are all that we've ever wanted. You're all that we we need, God. And I just pray that in this time in which we're challenged by the scriptures to trust in you even deeper, to to let our uh, identity go even deeper in you, that that we're not defined by just the things we do. We're more than a human doing. We're a human being. Most of all, we're your children, God. We're your children. Help us to walk in the power of this message and this principle, God, that you've given us. Help us to walk and let us let you make us holy god in this process amen I